Welcome to another episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast with Tim Salau, CEO of Guide. And today I am joined by the honorable, the veteran, the amazing Parker Lee. But before I introduce him, I want to show you all love. No matter where you're tuning in, let me know how you're doing in the comments below. How is your Monday? How are you hanging in there? And more importantly, what are you doing to ensure that you're going to have a thriving and wonderful week? The Unleashing the Future of Work A-Guide podcast has been incredibly fun for me to do over the last few months now. And I went into 2020 really focused on making sure that I kept consistent with this podcast. One, because I love doing this. And two, because it's a great way for us to build the guide community. And I am really appreciative of all of the love that I've been receiving around the podcast and the community that we're building around guide. Because one, it's what this is all about. We use media to elevate people and more importantly, inspire and offer a platform for amazing leaders like the one that I'm about to talk with today to share what they're passionate about, what they do and how they're changing the world. So let me go ahead and get into it. Today, I am joined by Parker Lee, a veteran of the consulting, technology, entertainment, and sports marketing industries. Most recently, Parker co-founded the design consultancy, Territory, and is co-author of The Art of Opportunity. Prior to Territory, he served as president and executive president, vice president of business development at Xplan, where during his eight-year tenure, he was responsible for leading sales and marketing efforts, which under his leadership enjoy significant annual growth. Parker has been actively designing organizations for better performance since the 1970s. The 1970s, y'all. During the dot-com era, Parker acted as vice president of business development for four pre-IPO tech companies. And prior to breaking into the technology field, Parker enjoyed a, ver a varied career in the entertainment and sports industry. Notably, in the 1980s, he acted as director of entertainment and special events for Caesars Palace, Las Vegas Hotel and Casino, and agent for silent cycling star Greg Lamond. You know, this guy is amazing. He, he's written one of my favorite books uh, of all time, The Art of Opportunity. And more importantly, I think he's a creative and innovative mind that I really wanted to bring on the show to have. Uh, him talk a little bit about what he's working on right now, his thoughts on the future of work, and how he believes organizations are going to are gonna have to adapt post-COVID-19. So without further ado, I want to bring on the amazing Parker to the show. Hey, Parker, how's it going, man? Tim, it is always a pleasure to chat with you. I always learn something and find something entertaining and fun to carry away. <laughs> Thanks so much, Parker, for being on the show with us today, man. I want to ask you, how are you doing? How have you been hanging in there in this COVID-19 era? You know, um, the associates I've got at Territory, we've been working remotely or distributed for about a decade. So this is nothing new to us in terms wow. of the way of way of working. That's that's our easy part. In fact, we're getting called on to help others yeah. figure that out. More importantly is health and family and all that. Every, everybody is well. Um, we're using you know our favorite Zoom to do happy hours and Mother's Day parties and all the rest of that. So, <laughs> so things are good. The, the fun part is in work where it's it, it is different for most companies because they're not used to this. They don't know yeah. what to do. 
Yeah. You know, and I love how you mentioned, you know, first of all, I would love for you to kind of share, you know, I know I introduced you, but, you know, share a little bit about how long you've actually been in this space of one helping organizations reform. And more importantly, just in the creative space, I mean, you've read some of what I believe are some of the most notable books on how do you kind of nurture creative thinking and innovation within your organization. And so I would love to, to have you kind of just share a little bit about, you know, how you kind of led into doing this work. Um, it, it really was back in the seventies. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of weird to even say that word, but it was, it was a long <laughs> time ago. Uh, and there were pioneers of organizational development, organizational design, organizational behavior. I was in college at UC Davis and you had to declare a major and I was stuck going, what the heck am I going to do? I, I'm passionate about observing how people interact operate and work in organizations. And I was, you know, I was in the marching band. I was editor of a paper. I was head of my dorm and I'm going, I'm watching this happen. And I'm finally say, I, I go to my advisor. I said, is there a major that is about that? And he goes, he points at his bookshelf and he says, I'm getting my doctorate in it. And I went, Oh, my timing's good. He said, help yourself. So I dug into all these books from organizational behavioral behavioralists at the time, industrial psychology and that stuff. Yeah. There wasn't a major like that at Davis. So I wrote my own, which wow. was a blast. And then I, I created the courses. Every course was a, you know, what do I want to study? And then grab the books and meet with my advisor. So I started back then my passion for it. Um, I wrote a grant and got the one of only two student funded grants that was called for the student center for educational research and innovation. And it yeah. was about trying to get people to not do rote learning, but have the passion for understanding and learning and giving grants to them. So they would start programs like that. Um, wow. so, so it started way back then. And then I kind of did a left turn. I became a musician singing on the streets in San Francisco right out of college. That was a big left turn. And then we, <laughs> we, uh, we did five national tours, number one club act in the city, uh, got on MTV. And then my daughter was born and I said, I want to be a part of her life. And uh, you're not going to do that where you're on the road. Mm. So I quit. And uh, about a week later, I got a call from a friend of mine who asked me to come to Caesar's Palace and that was another insane ride where I was director of entertainment and special events at that hotel back when, you know, big name entertainment was what they did there versus the shows, which is how they operate now. But so I met my first day on the job, Frank Sinatra. I mean, wow. Really. Boing. And then so I, I booked talent and did special events in the parking lot, Grand Prix Auto Racing, uh, Grand Prix Tennis Events, uh, Evil Knievel, um, met Diana Ross, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, Lionel Richie, uh, Tom Jones, Wayne Newton, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, wow. I got into sports marketing. So that's when I first started kind of dealing with operations of organizations and how to improve that. And I ran the events division for one of the pioneers of sports marketing a company called ProServe. We had Michael Jordan, Jimmy Connors and other artists, but we did, we either ran, managed or represented 120 events a year. 
And that's when I really crawled into how to improve operations. Uh, just like Jerry Maguire, I wrote the memo, had the jerk father of, a, of an athlete and got fired and came back to the mm -hmm. Bay right as, uh, right as tech was starting to explode. There was no dot-com yet. There was no internet yet. Uh, but I used to crawl under the desks of CEOs wow. and say, <laughs> and and put a three and a, a, a five and a quarter inch or three and a half inch floppy disk into their computers and say, this is multimedia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That and that's, that's what took me down the road. And then from there, I've spent 30 years in doing consulting and operations and innovation and management yeah. and you know, how to make this happen in this brave new world of technology. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. You know, so you've had, you know, quite the legacy thus far, Parker. And I want to show mm -hmm. love really quickly to our amazing viewers and listeners who are tuning in right now. Shout out to Kimberly Freeman. Hey, Kimberly, longtime fan, one of our top viewers. We appreciate you for always tuning in, Kim. Shout out to Henry. Hey, what's up, Henry? How's it going? Shout out to Rocket Bull. How are you, Mr. Islam? I hope that you're doing well. And shout out to Antoine, who is saying, how are you doing today? We are doing well, Antoine. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure that y'all share this with y'all's network so people can tune in and hear a little bit about what we're going to dive deep on today on Unleashing the Future of Work, A Guide podcast. So, Parker, you know, you've had such a, a, a quite a legacy thus far. You've done a, a variety of different things. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about how have you seen organizations of yesterday differ from the organization of today? that's really more built for modern age, right? To last yep. and to, to sustain. What are some of the differences you noticed? Well, they're, they're mega. And I think the thing that is putting a huge spotlight on it, obviously, is the pandemic where mm. you and I participated in, we'll get into that a little bit, the start of the work forward movement. Movement, yep. Um, yep. And uh, that was the coming together to say, while we talk of and love uh, to say the future of work, I got tired of hearing that and said, <laughs> really, every every company you talk to or consult will have their own point of view about, oh, the future of work is having an open environment or the future of work is using asynchronous or synchronous uh, whiteboarding or yeah. the future of work is teams. And the answer is, you're all pretty children. It's not even the future. We have it today. It's a matter of how you approach it and how you enable it. So what's different today than back when I was a, just a, a young pup is that technology has enabled us to do so many more things so much more creatively mm. and our approach to how we work has become much more dynamic, I think, than the old school way. And that's what I wanted to put a spotlight on that into what work forward is about. Mm. And, and and so let's dive deep on that. What is work work forward about? I think a lot of people aren't aware of this movement that you know we we are a part of. We are, we are, and thank you, Tim, for your help in doing that. We we uh, talked about this concept of uh, how do you get a perspective on making work better. So it we took at it a, a look at it and brought uh, about. 13 executives into New York City, hosted mm. by you and your old haunts there, and you being <laughs> a part of it. And uh, and we took 
what's the eco the ecosystem of work where we look mm. at it the the who the what the when the why the where all those elements and this holistic perspective so you could figure out at the end of the day how do you evolve and make work better for us right now mm. and the starting point was so why do we all work because if we don't have that perspective we don't know how do we measure that we're making it better so we looked at that and then we looked at how do we work then in the set of activities from planning to creating to interacting to uh to what resources are being used and then we started iterating on so what would help us accelerate making all that better mm. and that's what we we ended up with a, a set of principles that we looked at of being transparent and being diverse and having communication and collaboration uh how do you evolve build equity hold people accountable and doing all this in a work forward environment and we've created a site there's workforward.co that describes this and then we've created some tools so that people like you and me can be saying well that sounds interesting and i think work can be better in my environment yeah so how do how do i have that conversation so we yeah. built these tools you can use them in mural or you can use them on your own to have an interactive conversation with your associates about well what does it look like right now and where do we start poking at it is it technology is it the how we work is it our systems is it our resources where mm. do we start Mm. And, you know, I think I, I loved being a part of the event. You know, I, I remember like it was yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was such a participatory cool. and, and engaging event where you had so many thought leaders from a variety of different companies really coming to the table and saying, you know, this is where we see where we're going. But also, you know, this is the practices and the and the and the framework that we believe we can all kind of align on to to build a, a, a much more work forward oriented future. Right. Versus just always yeah. talking about the future of work. Yeah, that is it. And what, you know, you and I and, and the folks there landed on is that, you know, these key values work is social. Mm. There's nobody out there that works alone. So it's mm. what are the contributions and collaboration? Work is really personal. Yeah. Um, the meaning of it, some people are just trying to survive. They're trying to get through, especially in these COVID days. And other ones yeah. are doing it for altruistic. You got the frontline workers. Um, so it's either it's either about accountability or commitment or, but we all do it for a different reason. Yeah. And it's, and it's truly, truly human work is about the human experience. So you got to have an empathy towards yeah. uh, how you have that effort and what you do in your product. Um, it's so true. It's so true. Go in there, go in there. Uh, and then, you know, how do we, what do we use and how do we get it better? That's, mm. that's really the hook. So that, it could be a lot of it is just technology or you and I work, you know, steel case. What do we put in an office? But I yeah. think what I'm seeing is uh, a lot of leaders. I was on with the CEO of a hospitality company uh, two days ago and he said, you know, I'm actually becoming more productive right now. And I went, <laughs> really? Really? He said, well, I'm not, I'm not on an airplane 80% of my time. And I'm finding <laughs> that quality of life is better. We're getting mm. more work done. But he said the place where it's it's fallen down a little, you know, when you all look at a screen and you see 15 little cubes up there, the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Um, 
you can't really do that shoulder to shoulder creative work on a whiteboard and otherwise. That's why we lean in on mural or, yeah. or literally just the power of sketching, just making pictures and posting them up with each other. Yeah. Dang. Uh, and, and that's having an impact. So I think the, the punchline here is, um, I think that the way we work, we'll lean in on technology. We'll have mm. much less face-to-face -face, um, in real time and much more digitally. Mm. And that that's going to help the earth. That's going to help uh, climate change. And it's actually going to help productivity. Mm. Those are powerful, right? And, I, and you know, I see that same curve happening um, from now and, and moving forward. I, I want to ask you, Parker, because you know, you you you're in a, you're in a, you've been an exec, you are an exec, and you talk with execs, and you kind of you've seen this change over time. And you know, I think right now we're 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 starting to see a lot of organizations get creative, right? And thinking about mm -hmm. how do they adapt, how do they innovate? You know, one of one of my favorite examples I've been sharing is how one Twitter, for example, they're they're completely saying that our workers can work remotely forever. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's their choice now how they want to work. So they're embracing a work from anywhere protocol, as I would like to call it. And then you see companies like Airbnb who are essentially what they're doing is that they're adapting their marketplace and their platform to focus more on local housing and long term stays and renting and then even mm -hmm. um, encouraging their hosts to host online experiences. Uh, by yeah. leveraging Zoom, right? They're really adapting to these times. And, you know, you're someone that's really looked at innovation and creativity from multiple lens um, within organizations and as a consultant outside of organizations. You know, I want to ask you, where do you see the intersection between creativity and innovation? Well, they're, they are intrinsically tied. Um, a lot of people think of innovation as just setting up a skunk works or making <laughs> a new product, you know, and, and it's much more than that. It, it, the intersection of creativity and innovation is the human centered approach and the customer centered approach. Mm -hmm. So that when you have that empathy and that understanding of the core values and needs of whoever you're talking about, you can then come up with creative solutions and you'll find the innovative techniques or ideas. And, and it's funny, I was with the book we, we had licensed for training um, over in China. And, and uh, we did uh, a, a presentation with their search engine company, and uh, it was all engineers. And they said, you know, we're trying to do innovation, uh. and every time we make <laughs> a new feature, somebody steals it. And I go, you've got the wrong idea here. Innovation isn't about making a new feature. It's about what does that user or customer have as a core need and their values and making it better, making it applicable to them. And it might mean you're going to break your entire model where it's mm. a mix of service and product and extension. And how do we weave it then with the real world in the community they're in? And they, they looked at me and went, Oh, hadn't thought about it that way. So answer your question. I think it's the mashup. I think we will have a greater value also on creativity and what that means mm. the left the left brain right brain is it when you're out mm. of balance it doesn't work yeah um, i'm a huge supporter in diversity of humans and diversity of thoughts mm. because the outputs tend to be much better because they're hardened by forcing us to have different perspectives
Yeah. And and that that lands you on the creativity pad. That's what makes the big difference, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then we always like in the book. I keep coming back to that. We always say you need to have context. Context is king. It it doesn't matter if you don't look at the context. Yeah. You know, uh, innovation for uh, Shell or for Google is way different than the innovation you and I deal with as a little small company. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yep. What are you and I going to do on a personal basis with our smaller firms mm. versus when you have the resources of tens of thousands of people? Those are two very different things. It's true. It's true. A lot of different, uh, you know, there, it's, there, there, you have to innovate at a different level of capacity. That is exactly right. And you're usually more nimble. Uh, mm. You do smaller, you know, the the circles of those evolving circles of test, try, learn, test, try, learn um, mm. are much tighter and focused, smaller groups. Yeah. Huge companies can do it on a big, huge scale. But I, I'm a firm believer in the small, the small yeah. and the iterate, rapid yeah. iteration. Yeah. Get you there. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, it speaks to Parker as well, you know, and you, you, you touched a lot about this in your, in your book around how you design an organization and also how you kind of think about the creative process. And I think a lot of what a lot of leaders don't realize, they don't even have a clear down. What does the supply chain, whether it be their software company or manufacturing company, what does that kind of like tool chain, that supply chain looks like within your organization in terms of how are you amassing the full capacity and assets of all of the people that work with you as a leader and across your different functions. And, you know, I want to get your ideas, you know, what are some suggestions that you would make for senior managers or leaders in the, in, in traditional organizations right now, where they can, where can they, where can they, where they can start tapping into that creative intelligence of their people? Well, I think I'm, uh, I am personally biased and <laughs> what we do on the power of visuals. Uh, mm. uh, it, it enables us to align faster, see things better, have greater clarity, reduce confusion and reduce arguments. It's so true. And so just taking it in terms of supply chain, um, instead of talking about it or trying to put it into rectangles, boxes, and words, <laughs> You draw it out and then yeah. you can see the humans in the system mm. and what they are doing with each other and for each other, front of house and back of house. In other words, what are you doing in your company and yeah. what's happening for the experience of your customer? And when you can actually see it, then you can see the places where it's good and it's mm. just firing up and the places where it's broken. And then you use big data that comes in to get feedback on all those parts. And you say, well, this is what the data is telling us over here. Oh, look, if we just pull an additional resource or if we shorten the time or accelerate it or drag it in. But but you have to see it to get there. Otherwise, yeah. you're just talking about a whole bunch of boxes and words, like I said. Um, and it enables a lot of people in one place and you can mm. use this on a screen or otherwise to poke at it and look at it and uh, explore it. So I think that's, you know, that's one of the ways that technology is helping us do that. And then when you feed into it, all the AI and all the data that can make it so it's real time while you're modeling it and looking at it, starting to get onto another planet here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Planet of Zytar. <laughs> Yeah, 
it, it can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. You know, what, yeah. are, your, what are your examples of your, your favorite organizations who, who do this really well, you think? Wow. Candidly, I haven't seen any that do it holistically from, from mm-hmm. uh, the entire organization. I see a lot of pockets and I see a lot of leaders that have a mm-hmm. team where they're applying it. Um, there are some that are our good friends at Mural that we partner with that are starting to use that. But then um, it's a great example where the technology is both your friend and a potential barrier because you've mm. got to get them over a hump of being able to be comfortable in using it. And then there are different levels of that use. So uh, companies that are doing it holistically, it's funny. I, I mean, I love Google and they've got a, a great uh, culture, but they aren't especially applying it fully. When I've talked to some of the people that are um, back a house on the whole, uh, all their server side and how they're yeah. launch, launching operations and things like that. It's old school, yeah. uh, for example, from, from what I've seen and heard. And then I see other companies that talk about trying to build a culture of customer centricity, yet they don't have it from the top. It is top down and the leadership's not in full support of it. So you can't get this cultural shift if it isn't throughout the entire fabric of the organization. Mm. And that that's where it usually breaks. Um, to get a to get people to change behavior, they have to have a systems perspective and mm. it has to be has to be at the very top where they realize this costs a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources, and we're backing it. We're putting yeah. our people in it, and we're bringing in others to take care of it. And most organizations don't do that. They're broken yeah. apart in silos, as you've seen. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think what's so powerful about personally. what you're saying, you know that personally, <laughs> my friend. I, yeah, I definitely know that, and I've seen it. I, I say to someone that that has seen it, and you know, even with you know, with, with how we think about building guide as an organization. Mm. And for me, even as an organizational designer and just a trained designer, it's something I think about every single day is how are we designing an organization that completely, and I think, you know, there, every organization is designed around functions, right? You want to design yep. your organization the way you want to be able to serve the customer, right? So you have yep. to be intentional, in, intentional end to end. So it's not that silos are bad. It's that a lack of cohesion is. Right. And 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 I and I often kind of like when I even think about how are we how are we going to design guide now and then in in 10 years, it's a matter of how are we constructing a a design system that more importantly respects the individual, the talent, and then more Mm -hmm. importantly realizes that how are we creating cohesion? Right. How are we creating sync? Synchronicity, right? Like for you and I are talking design right now. Yeah, yeah synchronicity. I, that that word is so hard to pronounce. Thanks for helping me. Yeah, with that, right. But how are you creating it across the entire system, right, and the entire yeah. circumference of the system? And I think that's the challenge for every every exec, every leader. Is like, do you realize that your organization isn't synchronized? It's okay if there's silos, but it's how are you synchronizing the silos? You're you're on the money there. And it's, um, I think the power of seeing the organization as not this pyramid with pillars in it, but instead as a, it's like a body. It's a, yeah. it is, it is a body. So it's, you think of it as a network system or a body that has multiple functions, but it's all flowing together. So what's the blood of, mm. of, 
of the body of your organization. So it has to have a way to communicate freely and openly and transport everything that, and the transportation that happens is of ideas mm. and communication and understanding. So I'm a firm believer of small teams with tasks and projects, but that the information of what they learn and what they do is completely open, opaque, and has, uh, or transparent rather, the ability to be shared rapidly and the learnings that happen are shared rapidly. Yeah. It has to, has to be free flowing everywhere. And if yeah. it's not, they're broken. They're broken. Yeah. So I want to ask you something, Parker, you know, let's dive deep here. And by the way, thank you all so much for tuning in to this amazing conversation I'm having with the legend Parker Lee. If you have any questions on how Parker got his start in design, you know, who are some of his favorite design leaders? I'm going to get to that actually later. But if you have any questions for Parker, please make sure you put it in the comments. So, Parker, you know, let, let's get to that. Right. You know, there's some leaders, you know, they say we want creative intelligence. We want to create an, a culture where everyone's ideas are free flowing and whatnot. But then, you know, what you realize at the same time, though, is that as a business, you have to prioritize, right? <laughs> you have to prioritize based on a roadmap, based on the timeline yeah. and based really on, you know, quarterly margins. How do leaders, senior leaders and execs, how do they find that, you know, that harmonious balance between embracing creative intelligence, but at the same time, prioritizing what the business and the customer needs now? It's a tricky balance. It is such a tricky balance. And I think... That's the learning how to let go where you're empowering those to make decisions and full trust. It's a, mm. I read this book, a uh, team of teams. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That was, I think general Stanley McChrystal back when whatever the U S the craziness in the Afghan war and realizing we were getting crushed because <laughs> And for good reason, because we had this hierarchical silo where there must be command and control up and down, and that the enemy was using mobile, was using small teams and rapid communication and sharing every little bit like that. So they could move and do things on a local basis, or wow. on a broad scale. And so suddenly he said, we, we have to change what we're doing. We're going to wow. operate in small teams. We're going to empower them. And he had... He had rank and file, whatever they're called, privates or whatever, where he'd get on the phone with them and they'd say, what am I supposed to do? And he said, what do you think we should do? Mm. They'd say, and, he, and then he would say, do that. I'm, you have the authority. Go ahead and make that decision. So he turned the whole organization on its head. And this goes back to what you and I were just talking about, a networked organization where you empower. Now mm. it's how those leaders manage that creativity. You have to give them the trust and the power to make decisions, act like adults. And that empowerment makes them feel like, wow, I mm. actually, I'm contributing. Wow. I'm respected. And I can feel comfortable in being creative. Mm. And Otherwise, you're stifling that creativity because you're not trusted. You're not given the authority. You have mm. to ask permission all the time. And that's not a way to create. You can't create when you need to have the freedom to be able to make some good good thoughts, good decisions. 
You, and, you know, you know, I love that you said this, Parker, because I think now that we're uh, we're kind of entering this, I don't like to call it a remote first era because I think we're remote for a while. But I think yeah. a lot of a, a lot of organizations are, are, are embracing it now. I think we're moving towards a flexible workspace, yes. um, work environment future. But now that a lot of organizations are seeing the opportunity with embracing remote culture and they're seeing how a lot of them are still thriving. You know, I'm, I'm, I've actually been thinking lately that, you know, the the way that work is going now, the, the, our workforce future is inherently going to embrace that. But I think some organizations are already even, we've read the news, right? There's organiza- organizations that are, you know, stalking their employees at home, right? With, uh, you know, in-home yeah camera software on their computer, you know, a lot of leaders don't really understand how do you just give trust away in a remote culture? And, you know, I I actually agree with you. I think trust is the most potent. It's the most potent um, thing that you can give away to really kind of nurture that culture of creative intelligence. It, it is that, and that's part of the, so how did leaders understand that and embrace it and then apply it? And what you're talking about is applying it is not carrot and stick and saying, yeah. I need to make sure you're online for eight hours every day. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Get your work done. You, <laughs> tell me, tell me what needs to be accomplished. What are we mm. trying to do together? And I'm going to get it done, but let me do it in my own way. And everybody works differently. They are different. They have different back to context that work. We were that word we were talking about. That's it. And uh, it will be the organizations that embrace this way, I think, that are going to be the winners in the future. They will be competitive. They will have people like you and me that want to work there and will come into that organization and thrive. And more importantly, it'll be those people that amplify it to all their friends and their contacts and it will drive the value of their stock, the value mm. of their company, the value of their brand. And mm. they will be the ones that will arrive and be our future. They're already there. There are some that are going that way. I love that you said that, the amplification of it all. So I want to show love to Kimberly and who has a really great question for you, Parker. She's mm-hmm. asking, how can the educational system be prepared to take on this to prepare our next generation of talent, which are students. I love this question, question. Shout out to you. This is a powerful question. That is it. It is teaching the power of creative thinking and of collaboration, of difficult, complex problem solving. Mm. And that there is, as we know with design thinking and several and agile and the others, there are approaches you can take and, and, putting it into teams. So you get socialization, Mm. you get diversity, you get respect and that versus, and that's the whole reason. Remember I told you about that, that student center that I started. That was because I said the educational system was broken. Yeah. Rote, Rote education will not give students the skills and knowledge and the creative IQ that is necessary now more than ever. So Now, I have a daughter who is a sixth grade teacher, and she is brilliant, and she is applying those ways of learning with her classroom. And it's that that's going to save our future. That that is what's going to save our buns. Um, Because if you're not giving them that skill, because we can't design, we're trying to to educate for jobs, and the jobs are going to be morphing. (laughs) every two Mm. to three years, every year they morph. So 
you can't design a person into a job. You need to design a person to be able mm. to be adaptive, be creative, be inspired, to be motivated to to work with people to find problems and solve them. And I think mm. so. Uh, I wish I wish I was an educator. I respect those people more than anybody else, and they have the hardest job on the planet. Yeah, along, along their front line, but that. That's a long answer to that question, but it is about teaching them creative thinking, respect, uh, creativity, left brain, right brain, collaboration, and and we'll get there. And it's different at all levels because you know your brain evolves. And, yeah, it you know. is. It is. Or yeah. our brain is always evolving. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> With the information that we're taking in, you know, and I, I think there's still a lot of you know research around the dynamicism of the brain. I think sometimes you read that, oh, we have it figured out, but we don't have it figured out. Uh, I, I think no. things are changing no. so fast. And I, and I actually think, you know, in this era right now, we should actually be really looking into the, into the science around how um, people are cognating now, um, especially yes. with the, with the release of VR, AR, and all of these different tools that are, are, are just changing the way we consume, I believe. And I, I think it's, it's crazy um, now more than ever, the science around the brain, because it, 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 I think what we're seeing now is that we actually have even more to learn because we're adapting our environments to fit our, our consumption needs. So I want to actually touch on a little bit about what uh, my good brother, Mike Gates, who's a dynamic educator, public speaking coach, and one of the leading innovators in education. He says, this is education's moonshot moment, Kimberly Freeman. Now is the time to think differently, let students learn, play in the real world, and engage students with experiences that map to success in the real world. Mike Gates is also saying, tear down the classroom walls and let schools operate more like a co-working space than the school. How do you feel about that, Parker? Well, I love it. I think um, to, <laughs> me, to me, blended is whether it's education mm. or otherwise or humans. You can hear that in my voice a lot. Um, so I think there is a time to come together as a cohort. It doesn't mean you need to even do it in school, but I think gatherings, Socratic or otherwise. So you come together, learn from each other, learn from a teacher who inspires you. And then, yes, I completely agree. You go out and you go out as cohorts because it's in the world that you get those experience, that input, that observation, which is much of what learning is about, so that you then bring it back together and disassemble, reassemble, make some assumptions, go out and check those assumptions, come back, talk about it, see what somebody else learned, et cetera. So it's that in, out, in, out, participate, engage, learn, observe. It's those, those are the verbs of education. And the, mm. the gentleman you just talked about is right on the money. Um, and but I think you need to you need to have the capability. Now I want to circle back on your uh, brains are changing. I think mm. it was I turned, the guy that did uh, the book that was with Tom Hanks, the movie something. The uh, uh, we're definitely the, not talking about Forrest Gump, are we? <laughs> no, 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 no. This was the uh, the murder mystery where they had a a, a cabal and um, anyway, he wrote another book. I think it was called Origin, where mm. he was speculating that the future of humans and our brain capacity is the blend of technology and oh. who we are as humans, and it's already happening. Look at what we're doing right now. Yeah. And you were talking about and VR, and we're going to have chips embedded in us in a little while. And after a while, we're, there's a little bit of the bionic that's touching us. 
just what we're doing. Go back 10 years. We couldn't have been doing any of the stuff we're doing. So the capacity of computers, of sharing, of digital, of internet, of AI is going to start becoming normal. And now back to education. Now put that into education. And it's the freeing of the brain Mm. to be able to be creative with the leveraging of the power of technology. It's a little crazy, a little crazy where it's going. Mm. It's exciting. But but I think we are now becoming that cyborg combination uh, is what I'm projecting into the future. That And I don't see it as bad. I just see it's a natural evolution. Yeah, it's a natural evolution. That's, you know, that's, you, that's, it's powerful, right? Because I don't it's think a, crazy. A, a lot, no, it's, it's a little crazy because I don't think, I don't think I, I don't think eighty percent of society is prepared to embrace that type of future. It's a bit too dynamic, I, I, in, in my in my opinion, for where we're at. Uh, because right now, I think even to your point, Parker, we're seeing a lot of the structural damage that already has been existing in the education system, but also yes. just not even only in the education system, but just in in terms of skills training too, right? Oh and, and how we how we how we upskill people, how we reskill people, how we think about talent. Right. Yeah. At a at a grand scale. And right now, I think there's a lot of conversations around the inequities of, of that current system. You know, do you have any Math. suggestions for how people should think about addressing some of these issues? Uh, don't get me started because I'm from a man, <laughs> a man of the 60s and 70s. And I, I believe quite a bit in the redistribution of wealth and opportunity. Yeah. And and that until you can enable that equity, equitable distribution of opportunity, then there's going to be there. There's going to be huge. There already are cultural issues. We're seeing the divisiveness that we're going through right now, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to start. That's going to start breaking, um, which I completely uh, endorse. Uh, yeah, it'll have to be there, and so it, it will have to be that it will have to be legislated or otherwise so that everybody has that opportunity to touch uh, technology, to share the ability to uh, job change or job define, et cetera. And it's not there right now. It's yeah. institution. It's the institutional barriers are very serious. They're very serious. Yeah. They are. They are. So I want to show love to some of the comments that we're receiving. Shout out to Justin who resides in Oakland. Mr. Harris, thank you for tuning in, man. So He's saying, just imagine in 2030, Parker. I remember walking around high school, talking to my phone, computers, et cetera, and people <laughs> looking at me like, what the F? And now it's normal. <laughs> Definitely a natural revolution for techies. Shout out to you, Justin. Great comment. Yep. So Joan is saying, classrooms should be everywhere and at all times rather than the conventional four-walled room. Joan, preach it. I love that. I love yep, that. Yep. Take it yep. beyond the four walls of the classroom. Kimberly is saying, I teach and educate my students about skills and how to adapt. I do not teach to a test. Kimberly is a fire starter. She is a movement. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the mindset. That's, that's the mindset. I love it. I love it, Kimberly. You know, what are your thoughts on this, Parker? Well, it is. that, And that goes back to our educational reform we're talking about is if it's rote learning and memorization, you're not preparing somebody because we have Google right now. Excuse me. I don't need memorization. <laughs> What I need is somebody creative when I say, we're trying to solve this problem and this yeah. group of people are having trouble accomplishing that. What would you do about it? And that's not yeah, something yeah, that's yeah. on a test. That's something that, 
and it takes multiple people and minds. And, and as a couple of your folks are saying is, and it's, you got to go outside. It's not mm. in the classroom. It's outside observing it today. So it is, uh, it's real world experiences. It's observation. It's experimentation. It's finding an assumption. And mm. you talk with a few people about it and say, what if we, or how come, what is it? And then go mm. out and see it, see it in action and play with it. And then you come back and you go, look what happened. When I went red to blue, this happened. But when, when I went red to green, this happened. Now let's go all green and say, well, we never even used colors before. <laughs> there, there is a future there that is the creative thinking and problem solving with us as a team, with us together. And you're promoting that. That's part yeah. of where you're, you're trying to take it. And it, yeah. and it is there. It is, it is there. there. And it's going to be with the youth. The other gentleman said, uh, imagine, I mean, I remember back what you call the luggable as a phone, literally <laughs> with a suitcase. I would carry a suitcase around and pick up a phone. So now we've got it where the power of the computer in our phone is equal to what they were using when they put the first guys up in space, um, you know, with a room full of tape drives. It's yeah. Unbelievable. There, there you go. There's the blend of human and technology, and it's going to just keep accelerating. That that is going to be our future. So it isn't about the tech. Mm. It's it's got to be about the creativity and problem solving. Mm. The people, like, like the people. It is at the end of the day, it's us. But yeah. um, I have uh, I have grave concerns for the for the inequities. There there are. 60% of the world's population that doesn't have this, the ability to even have the conversation we're having. Right. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And, yeah. And imagine if we could empower that, what, what we could do. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have friends that are trying to bring uh, much greater mobile access and connectivity mm. into Africa right now. And they're raising money for that capability. And there's a continent that's ready to explode with potential. Absolutely. It already, it, it it is <laughs> the great uh, lookout. As we looked at China decades ago, I think yeah. you're you're going to see it there. As soon as we can get the technology fully, uh, the full opportunity and power of technology in that continent, we're we're going to look for a new a new day, a new day. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. All great points. All great points. And I think you know what what I love about what you're saying is the fact that you know I think. The, the fabric of society is changing right now. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I think COVID-19 was just that triggering effect that was looming. Um, although it was, it's, a, it's still a black swan, but, you know, all of the, the stats that, you know, people like McKinsey, Accenture have been talking about the, the next industrial revolution. They are unfolding, you know, because of the of, of a black swan moment, but they were already looming. We were already predicting to happen, but it just it, it became more rapid. And we are seeing right underneath us right now. Some people may notice it and some may not, but there are new jobs being created that people don't even realize there are new um, new digital workplaces being refactored. Right. And organizations yeah. completely rethinking, OK, how do we ensure we can survive? 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. And that if something like this were to have ever happen again, that we have the healthcare infrastructure, right? Yeah. We have the societal infrastructure. We have the workforce um, um, that, that will enable this uh, and that will bridge 
that hybrid intelligence between human intelligence and artificial intelligence and, and digital intelligence. And, you know, one of the things that I've been really studying a lot, you know, aside from, you know, the work that we, we are doing with Guide is, you know, how does a workforce look like with robotic process automation where now you have humans collaborating with bots to get the work done, right? I mean, you already yeah. see platforms like Slack completely thinking about how do we become that premier destination for actually automating all of the workflows necessary within a enterprise. And they're not stopping there. I think they, they have a grand vision in mind. And I think all of these things are what we all should be thinking about, no matter what sector we're working in, healthcare or education, is how we how we kind of one closing the digital divide, Parker, right, and educating our next generation of talent, but also how are we taking the lead on embracing it too, right? Because I I think like to your point, Parker, it's inevitable, right? Because we you know one of the things I, I was recently watching on YouTube is that we're a generation, aware of um, us as humans, we're the only species that will adapt our environment to how we want it to be. Versus just adapting mm. to the environment. And I thought that was so powerful. That's it what is. makes it special, right? So we're doing all of these things to aug augment our intellect and augment our capacity. Right. And I think that's the that's the crazy is we are the creature that can adapt our environment. Now we have that that potential now. You're right. Yeah. And and how we work, now you go back to at the end of the day, work has to be a way of sustaining of mm -hmm. passion, et cetera. And as we try to readapt that, it is going to lean in on the things you were talking about of AI blending with what we do to free us up to be more creative in mm. finding solutions, delivering value, uh, helping others. And, and AI is going to just accelerate it. It's going to make it even more powerful. It it already is. What's fun is you're right. The jobs are changing. You're going to watch that just keep happening and happening and happening. Uh, it's it's coming around a different corner. If COVID hadn't hit, it would have at some point, and it's going to hit again. Mm. And this gets back to everybody has, I call it the hair on fire syndrome, where <laughs> they were just... Uh, this is how I operate. And now I'm not doing it. I just have to figure out how to just keep the boats afloat and all that. And then <laughs> they're starting to realize what you were talking about is this is going to be kind of some new normals. How mm. do we start doing now gets back that creative thinking scenario planning so that we've thought through all the places it might go. And we have those scenarios kind of mapped out, visualized, understood, now, what can we infuse it with, with signals and AI and modeling that will get us ready mm -hmm. so that we are, we will be an evolving species instead of a reactive species. Mm. And, and, and I think we're going there. We're running down that road. It's just a little slow and some of us a little bit faster than others, but we are all running down that road. There's no doubt about it. I love it. I love it. Evolving versus just reactive. That's that's the that's the ideal organization. That's the ideal organization. So I want to actually shout out Antoine, who is saying exactly you can be smart and gifted. But if you don't know anyone with the power to get your foot in the door, your education is worthless. How do you address how do you address people in that situation? That's a great question, Antoine. What are your thoughts, Parker? Oh boy, that that's actually a really powerful question. It is. It is. And uh, I think that goes back to when when you have doors all closed to you, you need to figure out that you, you're not going to go through the door. 
Yeah. Uh, they're they're not gonna open the back door. Uh, <laughs> you gotta go through the truly. back door. <laughs> you're gonna go through the back door. You're gonna parachute in through the roof. You're gonna find other ways and find ways of seeping into the system, and it's gonna be creativity. I do. I am a firm believer, though, in in networking, mm. um, and you'll have to find a way to leverage your own network and then your digital network to be able to find a path there. Mm. And if it doesn't work through that, then it gets back to now your creativity. So the creative ways are going to be finding the need that the organization has. And that shows that you've got to show um, research, intelligence, AI, and learning about your target, where you want to be, so that you can walk in with a solution they haven't thought of and a way of thinking about it where they go, I need that. I need yeah. that in my organization. <laughs> and that, that, that goes right past the door, right past the door. Yeah, no, that's powerful. I love that. I love that. Shout out to you, Antoine. That's a powerful question. And, you know, to, to, to also support Parker's answer on that is, you know, I think we're now, you know, one of the things that really excites me about what we're building with God is how are we not only addressing the skills gap, but if we're giving a platform for creators to be able to share their skills, share their knowledge, at the same time, we're also allowing them to build networks, right? And, you know, one of the po most powerful things you can do um, with technology is give people the opportunity to, one, monetize, um, you know, get paid and, you know, build their influence, build their communities. And that's, I think that's truly one of the, 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 the core fundamentals of, of technology today is that it is a equalizer in a sense, right? Where it gives people access to opportunity that, you know, that is often siloed due to their location, right? And, yeah. you know, I think to Parker's point and what we were talking about earlier, you know, everyone that is doing their part in closing the digital divide and more importantly, bridging access gaps, I think, you know, that can go a long way. It'll make a difference because, uh, <laughs> Technology is the great equalizer mm. um, when everybody has access, has communication and the ability to share. Um, it makes any idea from anyone can be the best idea. And that's why it's critical to be able to take down those barriers, because that way every opportunity has a chance to have a light shined on it. Uh, <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Has it's to true. be shared. Has to be shared. Let's make sure we can get that built. Yeah, yeah. With with yeah. guide, maybe. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. So I want to cap things off by asking you, Parker, who are some of your favorite design leaders that mm. really impacted um, your, your work or you know how, how you uh how you do this work? Um the ones that uh, I had early exposure to and, and played with uh, Dave Gray, who was the founder of Explain, wow. absolutely brilliant. Um, a guy named David Sibbett, who's one of the early practitioners in, in visual thinking and of graphical capture. Um, an associate of mine who I've, I've partnered with and done things, Sonny Brown, who is about the doodle revolution, visualizing that way. And then, you know, the other great designers, some of the some of the guys I work with are absolutely brilliant facilitator designers for mm. how to partner with people so that they can come through an experience, a shared experience 
of whether they're doing strategy or otherwise. The, the, my two partners, Matt Moransky, Matt Adams, uh, have been doing this for years, years and years. And they demonstrate this new way of working, this approach of co-creation, of collaboration, of visualization. Um, and they're, they're some of the grandest, I, I would say, right there. That's a group. I, and then my personal favorite human being from thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, rather, um, Leonardo da Vinci, who was mm. that was that human that was just fascinated by, well, if I'm going to paint, look at the difference that light makes. And then, well, if I'm looking at light, look what happens with the body. But if I'm looking at the body, I need to know what the muscles are doing. So I'm going to go in and and dissect them and study it. It's like, would you stop using your brain to crawl into every single space there is? Yeah, an an amazing human back then. So, yeah, those are a few. There's a few. I could go get a longer list, but uh, <laughs> that kickstarts us right there. <laughs> and of course, my friend Tim Sellout, who's brilliant at what he does <laughs> try to be man try to be as good as you try to be as good as you thank you so much parker with that said thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of unleashing the future work please y'all if you love this episode share it with your amazing networks definitely tag parker and i and also make sure that you follow parker on linkedin with that said parker where else can the people connect with your work uh I, I mentioned earlier, let go, go look at workforward.co, which is the movement, open source movement on how we can make work better for all of us. Um, the company I have, Territory, that's territory.co. Go there and then do connect me with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat, reach out, touch. Uh, you can look at the book, The Art of Opportunity that I wrote. Great that's book. enough places. Thank you very much. Great Tim, way. this was a blast, an absolute blast. And uh, carry on the good work that you're doing. Uh, thank you so much, Parker. We appreciate you for coming on the Unleashing the Future of Work, a live online podcast. And thank you so much for blessing us with all of these great tips and solutions for how we should think about the future. With that said, you all, thank you all so much for tuning in. I am going to kick Parker out now <laughs> and ensure that he a has pleasure. a great day. <laughs> thank you so much, Thanks, Parker. Tim. Appreciate you, Matt. Bye now. Bye. All right. That was an awesome, awesome, awesome moment with one of my favorite design leaders in the world. You know, I want to ask you all, first of all, what did you learn from that? You know, you know, one of the things I love about Parker is that he's always uh, a a a great pool of knowledge when it comes to what's going on in the future of work and how people can thrive in this future. So let me know what you learn in the comments below. Also wanted to mention if you are interested in joining our guide early access program, make sure that you check out guideapp.co, guideapp.co, sign up for our early access program so you can get first access to what we're building with guide. We're excited. We've been building hard and we continue to build hard to ensure that we can deliver this software soon to come. So definitely check it out. And if you're interested in being on a future episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast, please check out utfow.com, utfow.com. And if you have recommendations on people you think I should interview, let me know as well. Send me a direct message on LinkedIn or send me a message on unleashing the future of work. 
Com. So I want to show love to Justin who's saying, thanks for hosting this, Tim. I learned that the future is here. It is. It truly is. It truly is here. And I'm really excited about it. You know, you know, as someone that is actively in this space and building the future, I think one of the things that Parker really said that that that, that draws on me is, you know, we we all have this ability to create and adapt our environments. And, you know, we can't take that for granted. Um, by any means. Right. And what we're seeing right now with, you know, with COVID-19 and how a lot of different economies, not only the U.S. are actively bouncing back from this, is that there's a lot of innovation solutions out there. You know, I was actually just on Instagram the other day and one of my good friends actually shared this really, really great image about how there's a few industrial designers in the U.S. who are thinking about how do you create face masks that allow you to social distance, but still are really like beautifully um, aesthetically pleasing. And what you see with these types of solutions is that COVID-19 has been that kind of triggering effect that causes people to think a lot more creatively about how do we, you know, how do we take care of health uh, healthcare workers? How do we make sure that we're all safe, but still at the same time, what are some of the new ideas that will unfold due to what we went through? And, you know, that excites me as someone that's a designer and a technologist at heart. So I'm really, really excited about the future. And I'm so excited that people like Parker are leading this future. So if you're leading and building something similar to where we're building at Guide, let me know. What are you building? How are you looking to change the future? How are you looking to really challenge the status quo in your work? Let me know in the comments. And also, more importantly, feel free to message me uh, if you have any questions. And definitely, definitely check out guideapp.co to be part of our early access program if you're interested in being a part of our guide community. All right, guide community, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work Live A Guide podcast. Tomorrow, I'll be tuning in with a really special guest that I think you'll love. She's pretty amazing, and you're definitely going to want to follow her work after our episode. All right, y'all. With that said, peace, love, and talk to you soon.